0: glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Nevin Neal. Jude verse 11, we'll just read verse 11. I think we know where we're at here. We're preaching on these three villains in Jude verse 11. It says, Woe unto them, speaking of those, uh, those apostates, Woe unto them for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Uh, of course, that Kor is referring to K-O-R-A-H in the Old Testament, Korah. So now if you turn to Numbers chapter 16, if you're not there already, Numbers chapter 16, and what we'll do is just read through verse 11 for now. That'll get us into the text and an idea of what's taking place. So, Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face, and he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even to morrow the Lord will show who are his, and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do. Take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he, th- and he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? Thank you. you may be seated. We come into the story of Korah. This is a text that has, I'm sure, been preached many, many times. Um, and. For good reason, Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. As we study Cain, the way of Cain is still active today. Uh, Men trying to please God, trying to get God's favor through their good works. The error of Balaam, men running after um, the reward of, of iniquity to preach and be a false prophet and get paid for it. That's certainly still very active today. And then we come to Korah today. And what is pointed out about Korah is how he perished, the perishing of Korah the way he came to an end. It's a dramatic story that we find in the Bible. It's one, if not the only incident I can uh, recall in my mind where the earth opened up and swallowed somebody, Uh, but that's exactly what happened. And what we find here, and what we find among these three men, it's why I believe the Holy Spirit of God had Jude use these three men in the Old Testament, is they give us a picture of how men still behave today. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, run greedily after the error of Balaam, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. There in Jude, that word gainsaying means dispute, disobedience, contradiction, gainsaying, or strife. Uh, How many of us understand there's a difference in having a difference of opinion or having a different viewpoint and someone who constantly has some contention to bring forward. Proverbs 13, verse 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised there is wisdom. I was listening today, I caught a snippet of news, and it was talking about a, a, a major organization in the United States that's wrapped up in scandal through abuse, and we've heard this so many times now that it's disheartening and it's it's sad and all these things, but what has happened through all the scandals, whether it be in churches or whether it be in uh, in, in civil groups or whatever it may be, what has happened is there's been an ammunition given to the, the, the fueling of a rebellious attitude. May I say, we as Christians have got to guard against getting caught up in. it. I was talking to my wife recently. I said, I wish I could retitle, if I had to do over again, I would retitle the series of messages we did on civil disobedience, and I would just title it, uh, Obedience to God in every case. Because it's never about disobeying an authority The only time we would ever do that is in order to obey God. Our goal is always obedience. And what happens is men like Korah have got an authority problem which is rooted in a problem with God. Um, I was talking to, again, my wife this week. had a, a very interesting visit on Sunday, a man that I've dealt with many times, and he was quite angry. He was my final visit on Sunday. I was surprised to meet him. He's quite angry. And he geared that anger my direction. He's angry at God, and he let me know so. He cursed God very clearly, very very purposefully, and basically said he was done with God and ready to die and go to hell. That was basically, I'm ready for hell. And um, my point with him is, that man, for as long as I can know, if the, the police, the civil authorities come up, he's got something bad to say. If spiritual authority comes up, the pastor, he's got something bad to say. Every authority in his life has failed him so that he has a, a rebellious way about him and is a gainsayer, what I would say is a gainsayer, someone who's constantly disputing with the way of God, constantly disputing and taking that out with, with a human authority. I mentioned, I think, in a recent message, if you meet someone that has been wronged by every authority in their life, You've met a rebel 9.9 times out of 10. I'm not saying authorities don't fail people under them. But there is a, an attitude of rebellion that causes you to have resentment and problem with any human authority because ultimately there's a problem with divine authority. I'll just say this, trying to put this in context. If, in dealing with uh, inmates, if we deal with an inmate, and if I can hear immediately... The system is treating me bad. I'm not getting a fair shake. The officers, are not they're not treating me right. The court system doesn't treat me right. My parole officer doesn't treat me right. I signal in my mind, here's a person I can't help very much. Because here's a person who is a gainsayer. Everything that comes their way, they're going to be contentious. They're going to push back. And we find such a person in Cora, but he's a professional at it. What we find in Korah is he's like the other two men before him. He's not secular. He's very religious. Here's a man, we'll talk about, and will give you five things about Korah tonight, um, that is born into a very religious family, if you would. He's born into the family of the tribe of Levi. We'll say more about that here in a few minutes. He is brought up in church, if you would. Uh, he is brought up around the things of God. He is not trying to be non-religious. He's trying to... Elevate himself in that and at the same time take down the divinely appointed leadership and servants around him. Um, And so you find a man who's, again, not an atheist, not an agnostic, just like Cain, just like Balaam, a very, very religious man. I believe when you find today apostates, we need to, again, I, I keep saying this, but I think we need to be on guard. We might think that those are most dangerous to the cause of Christ who deny that there's a God I would say with those people, you at least know more what you're dealing with. I think the other people who claim to love God and claim to be highly religious, but in their hearts have animosity toward God are more dangerous because they peddle their game saying in the name of defending truth, in the name of looking out for the common man, and they become extremely dangerous. We would call a man like Korah today a wolf in sheep's clothing. I keep saying that, but that's what the apostates are. They're not wolves. You know know what an atheist is? He's a wolf in wolf's clothing. But what you have when you have a televangelist who claims that he's serving the Lord, but he's truly pursuing money, is you have a wolf in sheep's clothing. What you have when you have a man come into the church who claims to love the Lord, but is constantly disputing why the clear application of the Bible doesn't apply to him and his circumstance, and he's always the victim. Korah here presents himself as a Victim. Cain was a victim. He was a victim of God. Korah is a victim of Moses and Aaron. And he's just looking out. He has the same spirit as Absalom. Oh, that I were a judge and I would do you right because my dad, the king, he doesn't have time for you. And here's a man that is dangerous. And so it does us well to be able to identify this kind of man lest we get wrapped up with them and get in trouble with them. And so... Numbers uh, chapter 16, verse 1. Let's begin with Korah's pedigree. That's where we'll start here tonight. The Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, that's his pedigree, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And so we find that Korah himself, which is who Jude mentions, Dathan and Abiram are his companions. We'll say more about them here in a few minutes. But Korah himself... I'm going to give you three things, if I might, that, that, are, um, that, are, that are worthy of noting about Korah here. Number one, by his pedigree, he had natural access to that which is holy. The Bible says in Jude that these, as brute beasts, are going to be taken, that they, through what they know by nature, in that is, that's where they corrupt themselves. So there were some things that Korah could see and experience just because of his birth just because of where he was born, and don't lose me here. I do believe this. I said to my wife today, and talking about the message tonight, uh, I said, uh, many apostates are birthed in a fundamental church, exposed to and very familiar with the things of God. The apostate is, as I've been saying, not someone who's ignorant of the truth, but knows the truth as well as you and I do knows just as much, about the, uh, as much about the gospel as you and I do. They've known the truth and said, no, I reject it. And so generally when you have an apostate, you're not talking about someone who is not familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. You're not talking about someone who's not familiar with John chapter 3. We are generally talking about someone who can quote the Bible, someone who knows the Bible well enough to manipulate it, twist it, and misapply it, just like the devil. That's generally what we're. Uh, I tell you. When we deal with Cain, Cain was very familiar with God. He knew as much about God as Abel did. He just rejected God's way. Balaam knew more about God than anybody around him. He knew more than the king of, of Midian. He knew all, more than the king of Moab. He knew more than the Midianites. Balaam was extremely familiar with who God was. So it wasn't a lack of familiarity, it was quite the opposite. Here we have Korah, who is of the tribe of Levi. This tribe has been chosen to minister in the tabernacle. Their specific job, uh, according to, uh, I believe it's Numbers chapter 8 is where it's articulated a few chapters back, uh, you find that the particular job of the Levites was to handle the furniture of the tabernacle. You'd find that in Numbers chapter 3 where the, the different jobs are assigned. So their job would have been to, to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, to carry the laver, to carry the brazen altar, to carry the inner curtain. The, 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 the Kohathites, and the, the, uh, specifically this is who Korah was from, and the Levites were charged with carrying the, the Kohathites in particular, the furniture. I'm trying to say he was familiar with the most holy things in his day he he saw them he knew about them he touched them so by his own birth he was naturally familiar with that which is holy it'd be like someone being born into a christian home and knowing the bible inside and out but never accepting it as the absolute truth that's cora his pedigree was one that gave him natural access to that which is holy It gave him an appointment to serve in that which is holy. So, by his birth, it was his job to serve and move the furnishings of the tabernacle. Every time they pulled up, uh, Korah would have been involved in getting that furniture up and transported and put back in the place that God said to stop. Very familiar again with the things of God. And that brings us, that's our third point. It gave him natural access to that which is holy gave him an appointment to serve in that which is holy and caused him to be well acquainted with that which is holy. I wanted to take time on this first point for this reason. As I meditated on this today in preparation for this tonight, I thought this is familiar to me. This idea of someone being extremely familiar with holy things and turning out to be extremely evil. Generally, I believe this. When you find somebody, we go out sometimes We knock on someone's door, and, man, they i mean—they want nothing to do with church. They want nothing to do with God. I hate what you stand for. I know what you believe. And they start telling you what you believe. I, mean, I, I believe that. Nine times out of ten, you can say, where did you go to church when you were a child? So, they are not rebelling against what they don't know. They are rebelling at something they know only too well. And it serves as a warning of that old adage, familiarity breeds contempt, and I believe while we don't find that statement in the Bible, you find that pattern in the Bible. How many of us have ever heard of Nadab and Abihu? Sons of Aaron. They were by nature exposed to that which is holy by their natural birth. They were by their natural birth given a place of service in the things of God. By their natural birth, uh, they were uh, very familiar with or acquainted with the things of God so much so that they said, hey, let's, let's burn incense our own way. And God killed them. How many of us ever heard of two guys named Hophni and Phineas? Sons of Eli. Same thing. By birth. They were acquainted by their pedigree. Just they didn't ask to be exposed to the things of God. They were born into it. We have in this small group tonight a room full of people who are we fit this bill. Now, fitting this bill doesn't make you an apostate. I'm telling you we must be on guard. You're sitting here tonight and you're raised in church. That doesn't make you holy. You're sitting here tonight. You know the Bible. That doesn't make you holy. What makes you holy is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, which is given you when you're born again. Not Nothing natural makes anybody holy. And yet, I believe someone like Korah, what he did is he used his natural knowledge to rebel against the God who gave it. He used what he knew naturally as a brute beast, and in that, he corrupted himself. He knew all these things naturally, but not spiritually. I find one other example in the Bible. Not only do we have Nadab and Abihu and Hophni and Phinehas. Can anybody else think of somebody who, through being extremely familiar with holy things, lost his life in a moment of time? Is that Uzzah in First Chronicles? And we won't turn there, but 1 Chronicles chapter 13 verses 7 through 10, you have the account of a man named Uzzah. If you study your Bible, you'll find that the Ark of the Covenant had been stored in his house for 20 years. He was familiar with that which is holy, so much so that he felt like it was just a piece of furniture that he knew all about and he could just reach out and touch it. And what happened is, and this is so applicable to this message tonight, I don't think Korah ever dreamed God would kill him for rebelling against the system that God had set up. I think Korah convinced himself, I'm going to have a revolution. I'm going to turn things around. I'm going to be the next Moses. I'm the guy that's going to make a difference for this people. I'm the one that's going to take us back to Egypt. I can't help but think that's what he had in his mind. He fomented that. You'll find that in this text that all along he and his clan were part of those who accused... You'll hear it. They accused Moses of bringing them in and not keeping his promise. You'd have given us a promised land. You told us you would. Would you bring us out here just to make a prince of yourself? And so then his pedigree tells us of the natural access, appointment, and acquaintance he had with things that are holy. None of those things make a person holy. Familiarity with that which is holy doesn't make you holy. Being born into a family that gives you that access doesn't make you holy. Being servant in a church doesn't make you holy. It is God who makes us holy, and Korah did not have him. And so then his pedigree. Number two, we see his partnership. Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, An, the sons, son of Pileth, sons of Reuben, took men. What they do? Took men. They, got a, they began to gather a crowd, a following And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. Now remember, Jude says, these have perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Now we're studying what that gainsaying is going to look like. I've never seen someone who is committed to rebelling against God who was willing to do so alone. Rebels have to have someone join them. Young people, you need to be listening closely tonight because, number one, you can be the rebel and try to get you a little following or you can get caught up in that. It is rare that you would find somebody who's willing to just do it alone. These men took men. You remember that Amnon had a a friend named Jonadab who turned right around and stabbed him in the back later, but I find even worse than that is Absalom who was not content to just have a disagreement with his father and try to work that out. No, no, no. He had to get a nation behind him. He had to get a following. He had to rally some troops. And I'm not saying a man can't rebel alone. We find Cain did. But nonetheless, I'm trying to say here tonight, what Korah did is what so many do. They, They get a burr under their saddle... And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about problems between brethren. We're talking about someone who is outside of the family of God, outside of, of, uh, of fellowship with God, someone who is pretentiously a, a saved person, pretentiously a righteous person, going through the motions of religion, but in their heart still a committed rebel against God. And they do not leave religion. They try to revolutionize it. They try to... Change it from within. And this is what Korah did. And this is what Jude was saying was going to try. Certain men are what? Left unawares or crept in unawares. And they've crept in. They want to come in and pervert God's way and God's God's institution. At this time, the nation of Israel. Today, the local New Testament church. And corrupt it and pollute it from within. And the way they do that is they start gathering loyalty. Loyalty. This message is not about, you don't need really to live in fear of someone doing that. It's about giving us light to identify it when we see it. They try to gather loyalty. They say, well, I've got a problem with this. I've got a problem with this. I can only imagine how these meetings went. Korah found some companions in Dathan and Abiram. I think we can learn some things by the companions he got. The Holy Spirit of God gives us enough information that we can draw an, anal- an analogy to today. The Bible says, Korah, the son of Israel, the son Of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth. Sons, so all the guys except for Korah are sons of who? Sons of Reuben. Now, let's do a little checking back. Reuben was in what birth order in the family of Jacob? Firstborn. And you know, this is not reading anything into the Bible. Cain was a firstborn. right? Ishmael a firstborn. Reuben a firstborn. You can go on down and almost Esau, the firstborn. And there's a type. It's not that God's against firstborns. There's a picture showing us our first nature is corrupt. Reuben, the Bible says, was unstable as water. He went up to his, his father's couch and lay with his father's wife, his concubine. He committed a great sin. And then later, he's, again, Jacob had no trust in Reuben. Why? Because Reuben is a picture of the flesh. He's a type of the flesh, that first nature that we have. Korah gravitates, and people, you know who gravitates to the Korahs? Either unregenerate men or carnal men. Natural men, carnal men, not spiritual men. Sons of Reuben here are, 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 are not spiritual men. They're natural thinking men, carnal men. Uh, you know the kind of people that gravitated to Absalom? The Bible says simple men. Men who didn't know any better. They they were lacking spiritual discretion and discernment. And here, Dathan and Abiram and Eliab and on are sons of Reuben. And I can't help but think there is a tying them back there. And it's mentioned in Scripture for us to take note. Korah and men like Korah do not attract spiritual men. May I say something tonight? You and I can know much about our own spiritual character by who we are attracted to. If I'm attracted to unsaved people, people who ridicule holiness, people who ridicule separation and godliness, that says as much about me as it does about them. As much about me as it does about them. If you you gravitate toward rebels, you are one. I'll say it again. If I gravitate or you gravitate toward rebels, you are one. We find what we are. One of the things I pray for my children, I pray they'll marry right but I know the only way they're going to marry right is if they stay right and are right. They'll find what they are. And it's easy to pick on somebody else. <laughs> but listen, we find what we are. Birds of the feather flock together is not a verse in the Bible. But there's a lot of truth in that little statement. Right? Yeah, there's a lot. Of, and we find that throughout Scripture. Amnon had a friend. What kind of friend was Jonadab? just like Amnon, a crafty man, a guile man, a sneak. We gravitate to what we are, and therefore I find that Korah, you know kind of many attracted? Number one, fleshly men, men who were fleshly men. I think that's what Reuben represents there, men that represent the flesh. Number two, he found and rallied a force of men. So we find that his closest compa- companions were sons of Reuben. But then the Bible says in verse 2, "...and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel." 250 what? Princes of the assembly. He went and found not just 250 men, 250 high-ranking men. They had men of force. These are men of intelligence, men of tremendous ability. Again, none of these things are, are wrong inherently, but I want you to see he is building a fleshly force. He wants to overwhelm Moses and Aaron to have his way and take their place. He is using this force of men to step up and take a place that is not his. And so fleshly men, a force of men, 250 princes, and then finally famous men. Now, I want you to think in your mind to 1 John chapter 2, I believe it's verse 15. Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes... The pride of life is not the father, but this world. Don't you think the Reubenites could easily say that's the lust of the flesh? 250 princes, a big force that meets your eye. And then the Bible says famous men, men of renown. You know how the world operates? You say what you're teaching us and what you're telling us isn't right. Well, that's the consensus of every well-known preacher I know. Big whoop de doo It doesn't align with the Word of God. I don't care if 250 famous preachers say it's right. That's not in the Bible. I don't care if 250 of the biggest attended churches in the country believe that. It's still not right. You see, he's building his argument based on everything flesh, not spiritual. When we build something, a, a, a belief system, it's to be based on the Word of God, not the most famous men's opinions. May I say something? The authority for what is preached from this pulpit is not what the the five, five best commentaries agree on. If the five best commentaries agree against the Bible, they're wrong. If 250 of the best commentaries agree against the Bible, they're wrong. You see how this man was building his force? Numbers, renown, importance... Be careful in, in being allured to listen to someone because they have more people or because the people they have are more famous. Is this not still at work today? Now, if God gives you a name, praise God. Use it, preach the word of God. But here, what Korah is doing, he is building a coalition of men that you can't withstand He's got sheer numbers, but not only numbers on his side. He has numbers of people that are highly respected taking his side against God. And friend, we must beware of that. It's what happens often today. You begin to say, well, I, I, my pastor's preaching this. And who's your pastor? Well, it's Nevin Neal. Who's that? Well, I don't know who he is, but I know what the Bible says. Well, I don't know of any preacher that's worth his salt that believes like that. Now, look, if I'm out on a limb somewhere and I'm preaching something that's not in the Bible, you pitch it in the nearest garbage can. But you realize you don't have to be, and this isn't about a personal defense. We need to know this wherever you're at, whatever church you're in. What we believe is not about men of renown. It's not about fitting in with a large group. It's not about fitting in with a who's who. You understand, these 250 men were the the who's who in the congregation. They were the well-respected people. And so, obviously, which side do you want to be on? With weirdo Moses and Aaron? I mean, Moses can't hardly talk, and Aaron's had his problems. Would you agree? You want to side with those nuts? Or with these people who clearly have it together? You know, Korah and his 250 princes, men of renown, and the sons of Reuben, they know, they, they're worldly men. They know how to live. They've they got a better idea of... Of how to lead people than Moses. I mean Moses can't even find a watering hole for the people. You're going to trust that guy. Aaron. (laughs) Built that calf you remember. You're going to trust those guys. Or someone like Korah who has all this experience in the things of God. I mean how many times has Moses moved the Ark of the Covenant. How many times has he pitched a tent and torn it down. What does he know. Now, Korah, he's got the experience, lifelong experience. He knows what he's doing And he has all these extremely brilliant people who are obviously more put together than Moses who constantly leads us where we don't have food, we don't have water, and he can't seem to find the holy land that we're supposed to be going to. That is exactly what they did. They pitched Moses as the idiot who was setting himself up to be a king or a prince, and we just want to help the people. And in so so doing, defying the will of God. And so his partnership, fleshly men, forceful men, famous men, but not the truth. He didn't have the word of God on his side. Did God ever tell Korah to lead the congregation? You know what one of Korah's chief problems was? And Moses points it out. He was not content to do what God told him to do. God gave him a job, an extremely important job. Moving the Ark of the Covenant is not um, an unimportant job. But he wasn't content there. He needed to be in a greater position. So his pedigree, his partnership, number three, his program. Numbers chapter 16, again, verse 1. How do he operate? Now, Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and the Byron, the sons of Eliab, and An the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. Uh, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. Look at verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Now make no mistake, it seems pretty clear from what we can study about the Nicolaitans in the Bible that the... This was a movement that drew a line of distinction between the clergy and the laity. We don't understand the full of it because the Bible doesn't describe it. But you can look at Catholicism and see how that's worked. And realize that clergy claim to have a superior relationship with God over laity. That's a false doctrine. But may I say this? God still established order in the church... He established a bishop to take the oversight and to lead and so forth. And here what you have is Moses. This is Old Testament. This is is not the local church back here. But what you have is Moses operating inside of his divinely appointed lines and Korah saying, you are acting like you're better than the rest of us. We're all holy. You know who had said that prior? You know who it said when Joshua got jealous because others were prophesying? That was uh, uh, back in Exodus chapter 18. Because the Spirit of God was given to 70 other men, and they prophesied. And Joshua was upset, jealous for Moses. Moses said, would to God that all the people were prophets. I wish all of them could prophesy and all of them could do what God told me to do. But that's not the way God designed it. And it's ironic that the very thing that Korah is accusing Moses of is what Korah is doing. He said, you take too much upon you, so here's his program. Rally others to you against God-ordained leadership. Rallying others, railing on leadership, and rebelling against God's will and God's way. Look, if you would, very quickly at Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. So his charge against Moses is, you take too much upon you, meaning... You are exercising leadership beyond your divinely appointed boundaries. You're a dictator. You're overstepping your bounds. You're you're an overbearing leader, um, so on and so forth. Uh, and he's accusing Moses of self-appointed exaltation as the leader of the nation of Israel. We all know who put Moses in charge of the, charge of the nation of Israel. God did. Moses did. In fact, you read Exodus 3 and 4, Moses did everything he could to get out of it. He said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And God said, you do it or you're in trouble with me. And I'm paraphrasing. And Moses did it. But reluctantly, reluctantly, the Bible calls Moses the meekest man on earth. And so we find here uh, in Exodus chapter 18, something very interesting as, again, studying through this today, chorus program was rally others to yourself, rail against divinely appointed leadership. Let me just give you, we can keep using the church as an analogy. Let me use a home as an analogy. Young people, if inside your home one of your siblings comes and starts rallying the other siblings against mom and dad, you know what you need to do? Stand up and say, you know what? If you've got a problem with mom and dad, let's go talk to them right now. I, it saddens me, but I remember in my home watching some of this play out. One of the siblings, getting a burr under their saddle because they were in trouble for their own disobedience, getting the rest of us around and pointing out how inconsistent our parents were and rallying against divinely appointed authority. And we'll tell you something. Anybody that will do that is living wickedly. If you got to say young people, I, I know the parents in this room, not many of us. you got a problem with your mom and dad, go talk to them. You think you've been treated unfairly? Go make your case. Wisdom that is from above is easily entreated. Most people I say, that I hear say, the authority can't be entreated has never tried. Korah did not entreat Moses, he accused him. And there's a difference. I'm telling you, all my life I've seen people say, well, that person, that parent, that pastor, that boss, unapproachable, that husband, unapproachable. When did you do that? Oh, I never tried. I just know how they would react. "Eh." Foul. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> Amen? I think of a story this very nice. Somebody decided to take something upon themselves to deliver a family that was in turmoil, and instead of sitting down with the authority in that home and saying, this is my concern, no, they snuck behind the parents' back and all sorts of horrid things. They played Korah. They did. And so here, I want you to notice in Exodus 18, there was a time when somebody else told Moses, you're taking too much upon you. Anybody remember this story? There was another time when somebody came to Moses and said, Moses, you're bearing a burden bigger than God wants you to. And Moses said, God, open the earth and swallow him. No, he listened to him. Very different attitude, very different spirit, very different purpose, and a very different reason. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13, It's Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, that we're speaking of, Bible says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father in law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father in law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God, when they have a matter they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' his father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. You know what he's saying? You're doing more than you're supposed to. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou the, uh, for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the cause unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall judge, and uh, uh, so shall it be easier for thyself and they shall bear the burden with thee. Uh, verse 24, uh, verse 23, If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so. do You notice that? Of course, said, if thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so. Meaning, I would never want to step between you and what God wants you to do, but I believe what I'm telling you is from God. And if God puts his stamp of approval and commands you to do what I'm advising, then thou shalt be able to endure all these people, uh, shall also go, and all these people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened, to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all uh, that he had said. Does that sound like somebody that is trying to overstep their authority? I find when someone entreated Moses trying to help Moses obey God, Moses said, you bet. Absolutely. But when you have Korah, and by the way, couldn't Korah have witnessed this? I mean, he was alive when this happened. This is before the uprising. He could have seen When Moses had more on him than he was supposed to, others were allowed to bear in that and so on and so forth. My point is, almost the exact same thing is said, but Korah is saying it for self-exaltation in rebellion against God's way. Jethro, his father-in-law, says it in helping Moses obey God. One is opposing the will of God. One is assisting in the will of God. One of them is in real trouble because he's playing the devil's part. And the other one is helpful. And I just thought it was very interesting to compare those two things. And here's what else would have you say. When a Korah makes an accusation, nine times out of ten, there's a grain of truth in it. There had been a time in Moses' life when he was trying to do more than he was supposed to. But not out of self-will and not out of pride, but out of ignorance about how to do it better. And so there was a time when, yes, you might have come and said, Moses, you're doing more than you're supposed to. But here, what Korah says is, you take too much upon yourself. You have appointed yourself as an authority that you are not. And so then his program, rally others, rail on leadership, rebel against the Lord, uh, quite a contrast with his uprising and how Jethro appealed to Moses in the name of the Lord. Number four, uh, we find not only... Korah's pedigree, his partnership, his program, but his proof, verses 4 through 11, Moses says this, and when Moses heard it, when he hears what Korah says and the accusation it made, he immediately picks up on what Korah's doing, of course, fell upon his face, and he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. this do take you censors Korah and all his company and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. Moses says, no, you know what? You're actually doing exactly what you've accused me of. You've exalted yourself to a place that God did not give you, and we're going to let God do the proving. You know, Moses says, I'm not going to try to prove anything. We'll let God prove it out. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, you sons of Levi, verse 8 and verse 9, seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the... Moses doesn't say against me and Aaron. He said, You're gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and to Byron the sons of Eliab. And you can find out what happened. The Bible makes it very clear uh, that uh, God showed who was his. I don't want to take time to read it all. Uh, but the Bible says in verse 17, And take every man his censer and put incense in them, and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, 250 censers, thou also, and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer and put fire in them, verse 18 and laid incense thereon, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? You see the heart of Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation's gathered against them. And they say, Lord, don't kill everybody for Korah's sin. He's the one who got them all rallied. You find these are the true shepherds. They're the ones that truly love the flock. What I'm trying to say in this, this fourth point, we need to wrap up shortly, is that what will prove out the apostate is time and truth. God is still on his throne. And he has a very clear way of proving who he has truly appointed and anointed to do his work, uh, his will, his doctrine. There's great arguments today over doctrine. Friend, just look, put it to the test of God. Let God, put it, get on your knees, open your Bible. And what Moses says, I'm not afraid of the truth here. Let God, God knows if I am what you accuse me of being. And God knows if you are what I'm telling you, you are. Let's let God speak. And the point is this, Moses on the right side of truth, not afraid of the truth, Korah comes like he's not, but when it's all said and done and God speaks, Korah is exposed by the word of God for being exactly what he accused Moses of being. And the point is this, God is still on his throne, God's word still exposes those who are false, we need to rally to the Lord, go to his word, let the word of God speak, it's the word of God that gives clarity, And so what we find is God says, I'm going to destroy him, and Moses intervenes. But the proof is there was a dispute between Moses and Aaron. And no one, the congregation did not go to bed that night wondering, now who's right, Korah or Moses? No, no, there was no question by the time the day was done. God proved it out. You and I need to be people of justice and judgment, and we do that by relying on the Word of God and letting God's Word, it is the authority, we don't have to let it be the final authority. We're blessed when we do. So the test that was placed and the truth that came out is that God was on Moses' side because Moses was on God's side. And finally, Korah's peril, which is what Jude speaks about, is found in verses 19 through 35. For time's sake, we're not going to read all that. Verse 31, let's cut in there. It says, And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground the clave asunder that was under him, I'm talking about Korah, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, And their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit. And the earth closed upon them, and they perished from the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense." I believe this event is in our Bible to show us how serious this opposition of God's truth is. The Bible says the apostates of old are going to perish in the gainsaying of Korah. There's going to come a day, and I believe the final proof is going to come this, when the Lord Jesus returns. When the Lord returns, the apostates are going to drop into hell, for lack of a better way to put it. And those that are truly gods are going to be with Him, and the proof will be there. And so there are those today who form an argument. They form an argument against the word of God. They form an argument against the true servants of God. They say, we've got the people. We have the important people. We have the majority opinion. We've got people of renown on our side that makes us right. And God says, no, my word is what makes something right or not. And the proof is when it's all said and done, these these gainsayers, these who oppose the will of God, the word of God, and the servants of God, there was a sudden swallowing up. The Bible says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. There are some people today I'd hate to be standing in their shoes because sudden destruction is going to come someday. God will will bear only so long. And the point is, Jude warns, you do not want to take part with the apostates because their end is to perish. You don't want to take part with those who rebel against the truth of God's word no matter how sophisticated or how well they may be versed because their end is always the same. We see the suddenness of their peril. We see the severity of their peril. They dropped into hell. They dropped into the pit and all that appertained unto them. Before God did that, he said, separate yourselves from them. Get away from them. I am want to deal with them. And so tonight, we would be wise to take heed to do the same thing. Don't, don't get all wrapped up with someone who has the same spirit as that of Korah. Someone who has a disobedient attitude toward the Word of God. Peter talks about them this way. They rest the Scriptures. They rest the Scriptures. May I say this? There are a dime a dozen on the Internet. There are dime a dozen everywhere you look people who, who take ought with the Word of God. They take ought with the authority structure of God. How many of you know this is true tonight? There's an entire group of people who rail against God's authority structure for the home, God's authority structure for the church, God's authority structure for a nation. It doesn't matter where a human authority is found. They are the ones more fitted to be in that place. I'd say this, steer clear of them. That attitude is not of God. And so then when we're dealing with the apostate like Korah, we remember his pedigree. He was familiar with the things of God, his partnership, fleshly men, forceful men, famous men. His program, rally others to himself, not to God, not to truth, to him. Rail against God-ordained leadership rebel against the word of God, the proof, God spoke, and it proved that Korah was the deceiver, the peril, God spoke stronger with his judgment than he did with his words. And Korah's end, when you choose the way of rebellion, you choose that end. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And His peril is a firm reminder not to join those who are in rebellion against, not against Moses, this is not about Korah, Moses, and Aaron, against God. They were rebelling against God. They were rebelling against God's way. Uh, And so then, may we take heed tonight. Take heed to it.